we're looking at um, our new series, looking at the book of 1 John. Our new series is called Just Walk. Just Walk. Um, it suggests to us that there is a good way to navigate through this life. And John talks about, he talks about a few things. He talks about love and relationship. Kind of goes round in circles and comes back to the same points. But he talks about truth a lot. He suggests the idea, he promotes the idea, that there is a truth, a definite truth in this world. That if you see it, that if you come in, if you, if you follow it and you believe in this truth, illuminate, he talks about light and darkness. He says, if you see this truth, it will illuminate everything you see. And conversely, if you don't see this truth that exists in the world, then there's this idea that you'll grope around in darkness. I wonder how you get on with that line of thinking, especially if you're maybe watching in, I don't know if you're somebody of faith, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that idea that there is a definite, ultimate truth in the world? Apparently, we live in a post-truth world. I'm really pleased uh, that we're looking at this, this book because it gives us chance, I think, to deal with what is, and it, what it deals with and it provides a way through, I think what is one of the biggest dilemmas, one of the biggest problems for anyone who is on the God search or trying to live a faith life uh, today. It's how do you follow God? How do you live out a faith life when somebody of influence speaks or acts in a way that undermines your faith? How do, how, do, how do we do this, given every now and again there is this huge voice of influence, either from within church or from without church, that would undermine what we're thinking? I was watching a film really recently called Spotlight, um, and as, as is often the way with films, my wife puts a lot of research into films we're going to watch in, make sure it's kids appropriate and all the rest of it, and I just switch the thing on, and if I like the actor or actress... I'll watch it. So this, it was Mark Ruffalo, and I thought, I like him in Incredible Oak, and it was set in Boston. I thought, that's kind of an edgy city. I'll watch it. And I got into this film, and the film is about a bunch of journalists. It's called Spotlight. The spotlight comes down on the Catholic priest's abuse scandal, you know, when it all came out, as it all started. And I, but I watched it not having a clue about that. I just, I just was watching this film, and as these journalists got more into this story, as more and more priests were exposed, I felt my heart ache for the church. As, as, as I got to the end of the film, I was like, how is any... Because people, when people look at church, especially from the outside, they just see the whole church. They don't always differentiate between us. I thought, how are, how, how are we going to be able to speak again? How is anybody going to listen to us again? Now there is this huge you know, scandal People have acted in such a way, and like my heart was breaking. But it's not just, um, it's not just, you know, it's not just one wing of the church, is it? It's, we, we, we see this in a local level. We might have pe people that, that are good friends of ours, Christians that have done stuff or acted in such a way that have caused us to really struggle. And we also see it, we see it, you know, in evangelical Protestantism at the moment, and that's easy for me to say, at the moment, it's all across church, and it, our hearts ache. Maybe you've got a character that you've looked up to, you've followed his sermons online or something like that, and, you know, something's come out about them, or they've said something, and you've just gone, oh, what? What do we do then? Not just from within the church, it comes from without the church as well. I was, one of my heroes, um, no, he's not a hero, that's not right. 
I like him, Stephen Fry. I just, I find myself carried along with him, with his genial, intelligent, persuasive, you know, academic ways. And he makes, you know, he makes me laugh. And I'm going along, you know, I find myself listening to him on QI or on podcasts or whatever, and I'm laughing along, and I'm laughing along, and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is really helpful, this is really good for me. And then he'll say something that'll totally undermine my whole belief system. And I'll, it's, he'll say something about, you know, there's just no real right and wrong, or he'll say something about his beliefs about the cosmos or something like that. And it's just like, it's like my faith rug gets ripped out from under me like that. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And I think there's a few things that we do. Maybe, maybe you could have a think about how you, how you react to this. I think there's a few things that we do personally and that church does. I think it's, it stalls us in our faith. When we, have a, when we have something like this, it can stop us. We can be in limbo forever. We can think we've got this faith that leads us to want to do all kinds of things. And actually we find we can just stop. Because we've got this issue left field and we think, I just don't really know what to make of this. And we find that we just stop still in our faith for like 20 years. Or the church stops still in light of the scandal. The other thing we can do is that we can accommodate it. This, this thing that happens or this thing that somebody says, the church just goes, oh yeah, we'll just, it seems to be, seems to be what everybody's doing and everyone's going along with, so we'll just, we'll just go along with it. Or we say something like, well, yeah, we were already thinking about this. We're going to introduce this as well. We accommodate. The other thing that church does and Christians do is we fall out about it. We just fall out with each other about it. We get really angry with each other about it. Or we do all of this stuff. Either way, either way, it's a mess and it's tricky, isn't it? This situation, this kind of thing is the issue that was going on when John writes his letter to the people at Ephesus where he was kind of a pastor father figure that's that's the backdrop to this there is this kind of a scandal there's these influencers speaking into people who are, who are listening going along to church and john writes about a bunch in chapter three and chapter four writes about a bunch of people and he describes them as going out from the church they left the church they exited the church and they declare themselves like sinless and righteous and christians followers of, of god yet they lived pretty cracking lives, you might say, from Yorkshire. They lived pretty full on. They embraced every kind of temptation, every kind of lust that was going. And they said, it's all right. Their defense was, well, we know stuff. We're still Christians. We know stuff. We've got some sort of insight that makes it redeemable. And we can do whatever we want. And not only did they do that, they sort of ignored the bit about Christianity where Jesus was suffering. And we can, we, you've got to do a bit of detective work with the book of John. So read along with me and have a look and read back. See what John deals with and you can see what was going on in the text. And these are the kind of things that were going on in the text. And what it meant was, because you've got this group, and this group, just when it says that they went out, they didn't, just, they didn't disappear down the lane and start farming and move off peacefully. They just, it's kind of like, it feels like they moved next door and showed them how good of a time that they were having. So they were making a big noise. And what it did to the church was that it, it stalled them. They looked at it and thought, do we accommodate this? They were falling out with each other. They were doing a bit of all kinds of this stuff. Because this is, you know, that's what happens. You can imagine it, can't you? These people trying to live holy, set apart lives and there's the church down the road just doing whatever they want, saying they're Christians. But we just don't believe all of it. Where do we go? Where do we go when we're crushed like that? Where do we go when, when we have these moments where the faith rug feels like it's been pulled out from underneath our feet? It's got three things to say 
Because I think that's, John is dealing with this circumstance. So I'm just going to make three quick points about what he deals with in the first four verses. The first thing is to say that this is nothing new. Feels like, doesn't it? Feels like when we have a knock like this, it feels like it's possible that the church is going to cave or our own personal faith is going to cave, doesn't it? Feels like this one thing that this person of influence says who's on this bit of a pedestal that we give respect to, that they've said something, it feels like that could be it for our faith. It feels like we could fall off the cliff. And it feels like the church could fall off the cliff. This wobble happened right at the start of the Christian story. John is still alive when the church is facing its first wobble. This happened right at the beginning, within the lifetime of some of the apostles. And the church still stands. Since, since then... People have gone out from the church in their thousands and written all kinds of things about the church, all kinds of new revelations. They've claimed all sorts of things in Jesus' name. Loads of it nonsense. And yet the church still stands. You're all still here. The church still grows. It still prospers. Jesus' name is still glorified. Since that first time, since John wrote this letter, there's been tons of new breakthrough discoveries, amazing, awesome breakthrough discoveries that as people have described them at the time, you'd thought they'd totally undermine faith, undermine people of belief. We've figured out, you know, our human origins, where the planet comes from, the fact that it's not flat, that it's just, and it's not even the center of the universe, it's just some little dot. We found out all this stuff and yet the church of Jesus Christ still stands. And we're faced now with the fact that most like prominent educators and thinkers promote this idea that, or inform at least against God thinking, and yet the church of Jesus Christ still stands. How is that possible? How is it possible? So here's the reason, and it's on the text. It's because the rebuttal, the comeback, beats the issue. The comeback always beats the issue. What's the comeback? Comeback's really simple. John doesn't get an arm wrestle with them. Don't go out and fight them. Tells them that God is love. But most, most of all, he declares the truth about who Jesus is, who Jesus was. That is the rebuttal. He says, this is who Jesus was. I'm just looking for the... I don't know if Andy's walked off with my text. <laughs> I'll read it from the screen. So he deals with... Um, he, did, he, rebu- he, rebu- he rebukes this. That which was from the beginning by declaring who Jesus is. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and he and has appeared to us. He declares really simply, there you go, there's my text. He declares really simply who Jesus is. He says, this is who Jesus was. That's the rebuttal. He takes them back. Notice in verse one, he takes them back to an idea that they had about God. The idea of an originator. Like everybody shares this idea. There's an originator. There's somebody forming all this. There's a force, a shaper at the beginning. And this force, this shaper, had something to say to them. He acted and engaged in a way to be seen and felt and experienced. And everybody knew this as an eternal thing. 
And John says at this time, he says, that thing, love how he starts, it just seems to start in the middle. That thing which was from the beginning, that's eternal, that wants to speak to us, that we've sort of sensed and felt and seen, that thing has landed. Sometimes when we talk about Jesus, we talk about him with this idea of this character that's come out of history. He's come along on the timeline and he's done something really memorable and then we move on. John doesn't describe Jesus like that. Sometimes we even think of him like that. That's not how John describes Jesus. He describes him as an eternal thing that we see for a, a period of time, that we get to glimpse in human form. That thing has landed. And John says this thing that we've engaged with, that we've seen, that we know about, we know is an eternal thing. John says, I've, I've seen this. I've touched it. I've grabbed hold of it. John says, I've heard him speak so that the wind stops. And I've talked about the weather with him. I've seen him provide for thousands of people. And I've seen him wolf down a meal and desperate for a drink. I was there when he walked on the water and I was there when his feet got blistered. He washed my feet. I heard him cry. I saw him die. Do you see the language that he used? He goes, he's at pains to tell us that he's physically seen Jesus, that Jesus is real. I love John, I love this letter. This letter is really great for us because it makes, it reminds us that this story that we have is not just some nice, comforting distraction that church sometimes is for people. John, John doesn't let us off with that. He says, no. It's not that. It's not just some movement with some nice traditions. He doesn't let us off with that. He says, no, it's not like that. This God, this thing that we know exists that wants to speak to us, this thing is real. I've grabbed hold of it. I've touched it. It's, it's tangible. I can connect to it. I can hang onto it. This is real, is what he says. It means for the people that left the church, that were exiting, that were doing whatever they wanted, really. It means for them that they have got to deal with this real God. John says to them, without suffering, without the fact that Jesus came and was real, was manifest in man, there's no salvation for you. There's no good news for you. The only good news for us is that we have faith in that real man, Jesus, coming and dying for us. That's where our salvation is. It means today that our story is real. It means you've got real hope. It means that tomorrow morning, when this talk drifts into distant memory, that the faith that you have, it's not just a warm comfort. It's not just a fuzziness. John says, no, this is, this is real. This is something that you can grab onto. This is, this is real for you when, you when your body's falling apart. When you're feeling vulnerable as a human being, this is real for you then. This is enough to get you through then. This is real enough for you when the person who has most influence in the whole world or in your whole world says something that pulls the rug from under your feet. The fact that Jesus is real is enough for you to hang on to in this moment. And it means as well that you've got a real way to live. Final point, 
He talks about the outcome. What does it mean that Jesus is real? What does it mean that we can hang on to him? He says the outcome of that reality is beyond imagination. Verses three and four say, we proclaim to you, we've told you about this, what we've seen and what we've heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Fellowship, I think, in Christian circles, don't know if you've been coming to church for a long time. I've been going to church for a long time and I've understood fellowship to be a lot about quiche and good tea and people who talk about weather. Fellowship's that point in time where we, we endure each other for sort, of, for sort of 20 minutes or something like that and then we get to, to go home. Fellowship is so much richer, so much more awesome, so much more amazing than that. Fellowship's this idea of a oneness with God. It's partnering, you see it in the text there, it's partnering with God and others for his glory. It's a bond, a connection, a friendship. It's just so strong and robust and its motives aren't, yeah, its motives are honest and its motives are good. And John, as he sees this church, early church, falling out with each other, completely miffed at what's going on down the road, he sees this and he says, I know, I know how good this can be. I know what real fellowship is. And he does, you can imagine, can't you? Well, maybe you can't try and imagine what it's like to know this man, Jesus, this man that's done these miracles. And you're walking away from one of them with him and you're chatting with these 12 people or more as they're going around about what you're going to do next. Can you imagine the sort of insane confidence and joy that comes from that moment? Can you imagine how you feel about life's possibilities when you've just seen this man catch a miraculous amount of fish. Can you imagine the chat in the boat? Can you imagine how you look at each other? Can you imagine how your friendship changes? How you look at life changes? Imagine how you feel about the possibilities of life once you've seen something like that. Imagine the sort of perspective that you gain when you see the guy that's calmed the storm wash your feet. Imagine that moment when Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, this guy that's done these miracles. Imagine how they felt about each other. Imagine the bond they had. Imagine the sense of purpose they felt when the guy that died on the cross that they'd been following gets up, cooks them breakfast, and then tells them to go out into the world and make disciples of everyone. Imagine, imagine being in that crowd. John says, I know what fellowship is. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's got nothing to do with tish, tish, <laughs> tea and quiche. It's got nothing to do with that. It is an incredible oneness. It's an incredible confidence that you're heading in the right direction, that you're living in the light and you're eyeballing somebody else who shares that same joy as you. John says to us, if we have that same confidence in Jesus, if we hang on to that truth, then that joy, that complete joy, 
is in the pipeline for us down the line. Now, I don't know if you'll experience it right now. Don't know if you've had it yet. Maybe you'll get it when we sing our last song. Maybe you'll get it when we share communion together. Maybe you'll get it when you have some Christian friend drowned and you're able to look them in the eye and know that they carry the same hope and faith and ambitions that you have. Joy is in the pipeline if we believe in Jesus.